Hey, Gary Wilkerson here, the Gary Wilkerson Podcast here in the studio with Joshua West. Josh, welcome. Glad to see you again. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So we talked about uh, two episodes ago, the gospel, which I believe is important for people to understand what the gospel truly is, because some people don't really understand the fullness of it. They see portions of it and they have glimpses of it. But the, the glorying in Christ, the more you know about the gospel, the more you just rejoice, love, adore, worship becomes so real. Uh, um, then we went talked about the, what is our role in faith? How, how do we engage in faith? We talked about it being a gift. So I want to encourage people to go back those last two episodes. This one we're talking about, I don't know, Josh, we're talking, Joshua, we're talking about um, substitutionary atonement. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. What did the cross do? Would you say that this topic is somewhat more complex than the other ones we're talking about, or is it just as simple? I mean, I think, I think if you understand, um, you know, the more you begin to understand God's word um, and who God is, I think I think it is pretty simple. I think what makes it complicated is a lot of the deviations from it. A lot of you know society and his church history people imposing their feelings on it. You know, and I I think it always all the things we talk about always come back to one of three things. We we underestimate the value of the holiness and sovereignty of God. We underestimate the the grievousness of our sin or we underestimate the power of the grace of God. Those three areas. And I think this area really hinges on the first two um what necessitated christ coming to earth to die and so it is sort of like a you know a wordy theological sounding thing penal substitutionary atonement it's a technical term but when you when you understand what it means um it it really is very simple just like old hymns would say there was a debt that was impossible for us to pay and impossible there was no possible way for us to pay only god himself could pay it and and these two things happening you know we can, and you can get into a lot of minutia about you know the 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 small details or some of the more debated things about it but just the simplicity of the idea that god is holy our sin couldn't be in God's presence. God wanted us. He wanted to redeem us to himself. So he did the only thing that could accomplish that was the precious, perfect blood of Christ. It's penal because there is a judgment, right? There's a the word penalty. Penalty is where yeah. the word penal comes from, the you know, the penal justice system or whatever. Um, so there is a penalty associated with sin, the wages of sin is death. And so we see all aspects of the gospel when we talk about the atonement. And I think one of the most, uh, not to deviate from the scripture and get to like some of the distortions of it, but I think um, a lot of times we underestimate the grievousness of sin. We, th- we think people are mostly good um, or we underestimate the holiness of God. So we don't understand what, why there really needed to be an atonement and why Christ had to come to earth. <clears throat> and, and, you know, the most important statement to make about that is if there was another way, if we could have did it in ourselves, Christ died for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. The, the Just backing up a little bit, the, the, the question we want to answer today and the question that needs to be answered by every believer is because every Christian and most people who aren't Christians believe or at least believe others believe it that Jesus died for our sins. Right. So, and, and some people say, well, that's the gospel, and it is, but it's not the full 
grasping or understanding the gospel because you could say, you know, my uncle George in World War One died for me. Right. You know, uh, well that that didn't do it. Laz- you could say Lazarus died for me. You know, in, in Jesus's day. Uh, you know, or you know, so, somebody could tell a judge, um, you know, hey, uh, he's going to the electric chair, and somebody could stay, say, I, I want to go in his place and die for their sins, to pay a penalty for their sins. But that's not sufficient. That's not going to save. It might save the person from the electric chair, but it's not going to save them in God's courtroom. And Definitely. so when we're talking about the substitutionary atonement, <clears throat> the atonement is the work that Jesus did on the cross for, you know, for our place, making us in right relationship once with God. But the substitutionary is where, you know, like, like the old hymn says, in our place he stood condemned. And so so, so we kind of have to, you know, we don't want to make it complex. Sure. But at the same time, I think we have to, I think Christians have to go be willing to dig a little deeper. We have to kind of like, you know, Hebrew says, you know, you, you, you keep going with milk, you know, keep going by the, you know, you repented, okay, good, but do you understand really the depth of the gospel? Corinthians tells us about the deep things of God. Uh, and so uh, I, I don't necessarily say that substitutionary atonement is a deep thing of God. I think it's right there on the surface for us, what Jesus did for us. The, like you said in our last episode, the, the, the guy on the cross next to Jesus probably didn't understand substitutionary atonement, but it actually happened for him. Jesus died in his place. His sins were forgiven because of that. But the, um, the I think the two reasons why this is so important. One is the, the glory of what Jesus has done and the, and the gratitude in our heart for what he's done will be uh, lesser if we don't understand fully the, the, the depth of this glorious truth. It's, it, I would say it's one of the most glorious truths no in, doubt about in, it. In, in, in the kingdom of God and all the universe, of all of God's created you know, scheme. He cre- I think he created all this for this. Yes. He, he created you and I for this very thing that we're talking about so that he could take our sin upon him and give us his righteousness so that we could be with him forever and ever. So I think, you know, um, a starting place for me is is Romans 1, 18, as you were talking about that. We, we, do we understand the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man? Romans 1, 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And in these things have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So the starting place to me in substitutionary atonement is to realize that we need something redeemed or atoned for, made something wrong, made right. Uh, but until we realize that, so so you can go to somebody and say, um, "Would you? Jesus died for you. Would you like to receive him?" And they go like, "Well, what does that mean?" It's like, "Well, he'll forgive you. He'll make you. He'll give you joy. You get to go to heaven." And go, "Sir, you know who wouldn't want that?" But then you call upon them and say, "Like, well, the starting place of this is to realize that the wrath of God is upon you right now." That that you are dying in your sins. You are, the you know the you know you know there's 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 no there's no um, sugarcoating this. He's he's calling them uh, wrath of God against. It's like so he's not like 
he's not saying like, oh, you're you're so worthy, you know that you're so good, you're you know, you're mostly good, and I just like for you to get a little bit better things from heaven, a little more gifts from heaven. It's like no, you there's a wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness. Uh, and to me, it's, it says here not just ungodliness and righteousness as a um, entity, uh, so, sort of a, in the ether out there. There's sin, it's and, and God's fighting against sin, and He is. But but it's 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 the right it's ungodly people. It's it's ungodly. It's unrighteous people that are suppressing the truth. It's not it's not sin that's protesting the truth. It's 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 people that are suppressing the truth. It's now it's the sin nature in us that's doing that, but and so so the starting place is is something that we don't like to talk about much. That that God is His wrath is is against us. His wrath is uh, you know and, and uh, another place He says that you know every mouth would be shut. You can't you can't say well no you shouldn't be against me God because I'm not ungodly. I don't suppress the truth. Uh, there, there there should be no wrath against me. He said He shut every mouth. No, no one can say that. So I'm kind of rambling on here a little bit. No, but, uh, no. It's... Uh, so would, the, what, what, what would be – so starting – you see that as a starting place? Yeah. Where would you go from there then? Yeah, I think uh, you know one of the <clears throat> hardest parts about communicating the gospel is everybody likes to tell people that Jesus loved them and died for them. Right. We just don't like to tell them why. The why. <laughs> we don't why, like to why tell them why did Jesus die for you. Why yeah. did Jesus die for you? And we have to – we have to talk about who God is and we have to talk about who man outside of God is and and we have to believe these things if you go to Romans you know 8 chapter 1 and it says you know now for those who are in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation the inverse of that is is also true so all things outside of Christ are subject to the judgment that that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter one. <clears throat> and there's a reason why he starts here, taking a look at the world around him and in chapter one, explaining what, what sin looks like as it's replicating itself, what society looks like uh, because of sin. And, and, and he goes through this painstaking journey to say, hey, listen, it, the Jews aren't immune from it. The Gentiles aren't immune from it. By chapter three, he's saying, listen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the need was great is is really is a central starting point for the gospel um, is this understanding of that God is not like us and comparing ourselves to each other. You know, in society, sometimes in theological circles, we don't articulate this fact because we say no one's good, no, not one. We're all, you know, good deeds are filthy rags. But there, within society, there are differences between, you know, mass murderers and people that have donated their lives to, you know, helping in poverty or, you know, so we can, people that do good deeds for for people, there there is a, a structure of goodness and not goodness and right and wrong, which is all, which is all, comes from the fact that we got you know from God himself but when we when we think about God we have to realize that he's other God is not in our little we you know when we try to superimpose things on God like well that's not fair that's not right who are we to say what's right or wrong we're a man who's born in you know a tiny fragment of time um, who is born into sin and we're living in this little area who are we to judge the sovereign 
the sovereignty of God, the creator, the originator in his perfection. And so I think when we, when we define who God is, then we define who we are next to it. That's where the need becomes yeah. exposed. You know, what did, what did John uh, the Baptist say about Jesus when, when he saw him coming? The first words out of his mouth was, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's the reason Christ came in into the, to the world was to, because of his love, John chapter three tells us, so that we could be saved, but we, but, but that's the place where, where people really get into trouble is they, they, they don't really want to talk about how grievous the sin. And, and I always say this, you know, as a joke when I'm preaching, but I would say something like, you know, think of your grandmother or just like, you know, the nicest, most purely driven person you could think of who baked apple pies, never mm -hmm. said a curse word, only did good in your eyes. That person was as desperate and damned as I was as a drug addict or as a mass murderer. <clears throat> we can't put the goodness of people in the same category of the goodness of God. <clears throat> and I think that's the ground point that we that we're, where really people get mixed up. You can go to anybody and say, hey, listen, Jesus died for you and, and he'll, he'll accept you. And you're like, well, cool, I guess. But when you start telling them that they're that they're adulterous at heart and that their best deeds are, you know, like filthy rags before a holy God, that's when the offense of the gospel becomes clear because we don't we don't want to hear that. And the reason we we don't acknowledge that Paul said in Romans one is because we we know who God is. The imprint of the Imago Day, the image of God is imprinted in us as created beings, but we suppress it for the sake of sin. Yeah, you're, you're, the grandmother illustration that you brought up, <clears throat> I think my my mind goes to, well, why not? You know, she's, she's so good, you know, she's just so sweet. So, well, it goes back to that Romans one passage we read, suppressing the truth. So if she's, she's, she's nice and she bakes pies, she's good. We think that's good enough to get her into heaven, but that's still unholiness. It's still suppressing the truth. It's still unrighteousness, and it's and to us that's not that grievous. If she were to become a, a murderer, then all of a sudden, oh, she's changed, and now she deserves the, the you know separation from God or judgment from God because she changed from moral to immoral. But but she's actually immoral because she's suppressing the greatest command of all uh, that you know to love God with all your heart, soul, and minds, and and she's not doing that because. You know, or if she is, then she's she's in right relationship with God, and she's saved. Right. She she has the substitutionary atonement working for her that she placed her sin on the cross with Jesus, and Jesus gave her His righteousness, not her own righteousness. Her righteousness is as filthy rags. Imputed righteousness. Imputed, given 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 by God. Yeah. 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 Put into her by God Himself. Yeah. And and I think that's what's so offensive. So when we talk about penal substitutionary atonement, or just say atonement, you know, just to keep it simple, um, that's where the ground floor really is. Is it's, it's transactional, right? It's it, it, for us the most important part is seeing the need for the great exchange, the great transaction. Um, and I think as Christians, as we grow in knowledge of this, you know, as a believer, I'm more. Um, just like wrecked by the grace of God and the gospel and what he did for me much more now than I was 15 years ago yeah. when I first came to faith um, because my knowledge of who God is has increased. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's be honest. My knowledge of how sinful I am has increased. Even as a man who, by moral standards today, people would say, oh, he's a good, moral, upstanding mm. man. But man, but I, I know my mind. I know my heart. I know thoughts I've thought. And in spite of those things, Christ still saved me, still loved me. So as I grow in the knowledge of my own sin and I grow in the knowledge of who God is, man, that that appreciation for the need of the gospel also grows in me. That's why we never outgrow the gospel. That's right. That's so good. That's an important important point. The so so if we if we're starting to build a, a, a working knowledge of substitutionary atonement or the work of the cross, we're, what we're building there is God is holy and just and righteous. Therefore, because we're rebelling against Him, and that rebellion could be even the the sweet grandma who uh, just you know if if you break one law, you've broken them all. And so, so she's a lawbreaker. I'm a lawbreaker. You're a lawbreaker. And we're starting to see, uh, and that's 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 why it grows. You know, you're starting to see is like, oh, I'm, you know, if I was that sweet grandma, the more I would see my own sin, I'd be like, I'm not that sweet grandma. I'm I'm I'm, I'm selfish and I'm you know unkind and sometimes whatever. But so so you got the separation between, and that's that's uh, you know Galatians. Let me read that real quickly here. Uh, For all who rely on the works of the law, so grandma, you, me, we say we're going to rely on getting right with God uh, by b- performance, by behavior. He says, for everyone who relies on that is under a curse. Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all the things written in the book of the law to do them. So so you, me, Grandma, none of us have abided by all the things in the law. And so therefore, because we've not, the law breaking, because God's holy, it separates us from him. And therefore, he's saying that that's, that's the wrath of God is, is upon you. The, what, what you think is the sweetest person in the world, God looks at and sees the, the depth of the heart and sees the sinfulness of the nature. Even if they didn't do a whole lot of bad things, they have in them what's called the Adamic Adam's nature of being a sin and, and the weight of the whole world's sin is upon that one sinner in a sense. Uh, now, it is evident that no one is justified by the law uh, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Uh, Christ redeemed us. That, that, that word redeemed there is, 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 is gets to some of the transition that we're talking about. Okay, we're sinners, God's holy, but he redeemed us. He, in other words, paid for us. He, he paid the price. The penalty of our sin is not paid by us. We didn't bear our own sin. He bore it for us. Redeemed, that's where we're redeemed from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's the, the, that's the substitution. That's right. It's, okay, it's like... We're supposed to be cursed. He's not supposed to be. We we didn't keep everything under the law, so we deserve to be punished. He kept every he lived here and kept everything under the law, right? Right. And so he lived perfectly. So he he has proven that as, as a, that a man can keep the law. So so that that causes us to be almost more unjustified Definitely. because we can't say, well, no one can keep the law. So yeah, Jesus did it. And instead of but but instead of leaving us hopeless, saying, well, you know, God could have from heaven said. Well, Jesus did it, and you didn't. Ha ha ha! So I'm right in punishing you. He could have done that, right? Rightfully so, deservedly so. But instead, he's saying, "I'm going to take the perfect one." Uh, that's what he says. And he became a curse for us, for it is written, "Everyone is uh, is hung hanged upon a tree." So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we who receive the promised Spirit through through faith. So this is the, I guess you call it transactional. It's like again, in my place he stood condemned for me so that I have now uh, that that uh, I'm in him uh, and his his keeping of the law 
is 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 my keeping of the law, so to speak. I'm I'm in Christ. That's that's kind of where I've, I begin to start rounding this thing out, you know. But yeah. it, but I don't guess it ends there either, does it? I, mean, I think one of the uh, you know we talk about the man who kept the law, Christ, you know. But I think also it's this um, it's this magnification of the value of Christ. Like yeah. you know, I think sometimes we get caught up in the idea of you know. How could the sin of one man cause all men to go into sin? How could the 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 righteous act of one man be you know um, sufficient? And so you know you could we could spend hours talking through you know the book of Hebrews and all these mm-hmm. sort of things why that's the case. But in just the most simplest of terms, it's because that man is is also God. Um, and so it's the hypostatic union that makes it so the value of it, the perfection of it. Um, you know, I, I was talking with someone not to get in a, a weird side lane, but just about, you know, the death penalty, um, you know, and people who get freed from being wrongly convicted of being in prison and then, you know, DNA or something takes them out, realizes that they couldn't have been the person who did it. And we were just talking through, you know, I wonder how many. I wonder how many innocent people have been sacrificed, not perfect people, just innocent people. And when you think about justice itself, um, you know, and I just thought this to myself, you know, I would rather five, 10, 20 guilty people go free um, in the expense of one person wrongly convicted being killed. And so when you start thinking in those terms, you start, and I, you know, I'm not trying to make some weird conversation about uh, some hot topic issue my point being though but what if what if the person taking all the sin of all mankind was faultless in every way in every single way the value of his innocence there is no truly in here's the thing we don't get there is no truly innocent person in the world right not by god's standards and so the fact that the only true innocent person would give up his trade his innocence for our guilt that's really where you start understanding the value this is a silly analogy but it would be like you know why is christ value why is the uh is he valuable enough so it'd be like if you walked into a, a, a junkyard right i owned a junkyard and you were looking at some of the cars and you took your key out and scratched the paint off of some, you know, 1980 jalopy or something. It has three cars piled on it. And I would say, hey, you know, I can sell that fender. Don't do that. Right. The penalty would probably be me saying, don't do that to my right. junk car. I might be able to sell that. But if you walked into a Ferrari showroom or, you know, I don't even know a lot about cars, some car that's, you know, $500,000 and you, you know, damaged it. The penalty would be much higher for you, right? Because you, um, you know, the value is so much higher, and so the value of of our sin towards God is incalculable. One sin is incalculable. It the wages of sin are death. It's the only right thing to do is is to be put to death. Because on the flip side of that, we were created to worship and glorify God. And so we're not serving our function. So when we escalate the value of God, we realize how grievous sin really is. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, we see that, that his life, his perfect life um, is valuable for the sin of, 
of every generation of every and maybe I didn't articulate that well but but it just gives you a little idea of we have to magnify the value of God the value of Christ um, to see this this how great this exchange really is but the beautiful part about the gospel is this Gary just like the thief on the cross we don't have to completely understand the depths of it to benefit from it um, and we grow in knowledge of it. We'll grow in appreciation of it. We'll grow in grace. We'll, we'll extend grace to others. But, but I think that sort of is the place. It's the value of God in our, in our transgressing against him. It's also the value of God in the great exchange of the cross. Yeah, it is. It's, and the, the, we can value it just by, you know, knowing that he did something for me. I, you know, my friend, uh, he he got saved. He was live, living on the streets in Philadelphia, uh, taking three pretty heavy drugs all at the same time as mine was fried. And uh, Grandma said she heard the pastor on Sunday morning say, you know, hey, go out and witness to the lost because you know people are hurting and need Jesus. She said, okay. She had never witnessed before, and she went out to the park and walked up to this guy and said, do you need Jesus? And he goes, what's that? He goes like, you know, it's like, well, you're a sinner and Jesus died for you. And he goes, okay, yeah, I'll, you know. And that was the start of his faith journey and he wow. became set free you know he's been free from drugs and f- serving Jesus and preaching for 40 years now uh, and, and but but what I always he, he said I went to my to the drug house where he bought his drugs and he told all his friends and he, what happened to him and they said what happened and he said uh, he said I, I just met Jesus he goes well what what is it? he goes I don't know but it feels good you know so <laughs> so there is that starting place that Jesus right. can miraculously without almost any theological knowledge can can miraculously but but what he's doing is this thing we're talking about today. Yeah. And why I think it's important. There's two reasons I think this is important, and maybe we have enough time just to touch on them briefly. Uh, one is because we live in a culture that is not is no longer uh, is biblically illiterate. So they don't know God is holy. They don't know that they're sinners. They don't know Jesus died for them on a cross to substitute for their own sin. They don't know that he rose again to bring them resurrection life and impute to them righteousness. And so if you just go to preach to them and say, Jesus loves you, you're like, oh, sure. Yeah, it's like I'm pretty yeah, level. Everybody does. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, well, he died for your sin. Good for him. Thanks for doing that. You know, he shouldn't have done that because I'm really not that bad a sinner. Right. Uh, you know, and that, that this whole book is literally, you know, that's why he's called us to, to, to you know, how will they know without a preacher? And so, so we we are our calling not just as preachers but as a Christian, our calling is to take this whole thing and say like, well, here's why, you know, you and I look a lot into look at Hebrews. Here's why Hebrews talks about the high priest, even though almost nobody in American culture knows what a high priest is. It is our job to to help them know Jesus is a high priest because because he he understood from the foundation of the world that we're going to sin and and the penalty of that sin is death the death is the, is the is the the dissipation of the blood in the system and so blood the 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 the, the blood is what atones for sin yes. and so so you know culture doesn't know that but we we need to make that known so that when we come to Jesus as the high priest we go oh that makes sense he's our high priest meaning he he he, he pays the sacrifice for us you know it's kind of like you know, like if if I wanted somebody in culture today to know why a coach was important, okay? So and and a, a young student goes like, ah, coaches aren't important. I can be a great athlete without it. So 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 I go back in time and go like, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a thing called football, and all these young men are gonna see, like they can't really just go out and play the game. They need somebody to instruct them in that. 
So now in culture, as I begin to say, coaching is important, that young athlete understands, yeah, my coach, he really helped me. Today in a culture, we say a high priest is crucial. Atonement is crucial. People are going like, I don't know, because we had not faithfully told the story. Right. Uh, I think we're missing telling the story. We're telling the story of you can do better or life can be good or just believe it or your destiny. Jesus is there to help you with your destiny. We're telling that story. Uh, and we're also telling the story of, of you know, it's almost like we're saying, let's not tell the story of the high priest anymore because that's culturally irrelevant. Let's not tell the story of substitutionary atonement because that's bloody and and it's and it, and it makes people feel bad about themselves. Let's let's tell a different story. Jesus is. I heard one very well known pastor uh, who is very much into leadership training. He says, let's not call Jesus Lord anymore. Let's call him leader. He's the leader of life because it really means the same thing. No, it doesn't. It, it, it definitely does. A leader can somebody can has a vision and rallies the troops and gets them. You know, you're putting Jesus on the same level as. Joe Biden or Donald Trump, they're leading right. uh, political parties or Ron DeSantis now. Uh, right. you know, so, so you have these, this, this sense of, of this diminishment of, of the gospel, diminishment of, of Christ and his work. And we are meant to raise that up, the result of that. So that's one thing. The second thing then is that when we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we do it as broken vessels saying, God, help us do this well, what we're actually doing then is is doing the very thing that the scriptures bottom line is is we're meant to glorify God and we glorify him by preaching the cross you know that's why Paul said I don't preach anything except the cross of Jesus Christ basically what he's saying is I don't preach anything but substitutionary atonement right the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that's 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 you know I lay my life down for this stuff and uh, you know and that that just that the outcome of this then to me is um, honor glory uh, the, the the worth and the value of of the the, the magnificence of Christ the, the you know we're working possibly towards a book together and the working title is the jaw dropping beauty of Christ yes it's it's the idea of this thing is is far beyond our wildest dreams or imagination and this is what it's meant to be it's it's meant to stoke our imagination to uh, not a false imagination of believing something that's not there but to imagining all that is actually really there. Yes, it, it, it's it's growing in this level. So I, I think the thing we're talking about today is is of no little significance. I think it's of great value and significance. And um, uh, go ahead and uh, you know finish up your thoughts there. And then I want to do one last thing before we're done today. Okay. Definitely. Um, you know I think this is I recently um, preached through the whole book of John. And one of the things that stuck out to me um, about sort of how Jesus's sharpness with the you know the the people who tended the temple and the Levites and and the the priests within the temple, um, you know I I begin to sort of draw this picture having recently gone through Hebrews as well as how could we not understand the holiness and the severity and just the majesty of God and our desperate need for him in that old system. Um, when if, when you think about the temple and the sacrifices that were brought, you know, to temporarily placeholder remission of sin, um, it's not some nice little thing where, you know, there's like a little you know, you're cutting a bird and there's like, and we're talking about blood-stained garments, blood-stained temple floor, blood-stained hands. These men who are, who are standing in that place as the temporary priest, you know, for Christ. Um, and so how can we not see how costly sin is, how holy God is? 
and and I think for those of us who have the knowledge of this, you know, how can how can we not understand this ourselves? And I think that's that's what it really comes down to is is sin is costly. God is holy, but but Christ went to the ultimate length. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's like this idea that, you know, he the old songs he paid a debt he didn't know. I mean, listen, this is Christianity's a bloody religion and 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 this is uh, this is a messy sort of real thing. And, and I, 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 when I think about the blood of Jesus, I think about how messy sin is and how messy my life was before Christ. And all these things are remedied by the precious blood of Jesus. And I guess where I'm going there is you're talking about the high priest. We have to, we have to bring people to the Old Testament. We have to explain the you know what does paul say in in romans those who know the law will die under the law but guess what those who don't know the law they're going to die outside the law because the law of god is is a universal law and so we have to we have to bring the atonement of of christ to people and that means speaking the need of it you know and and it's not by going and you know, judgmentally yelling at people and saying, you're the worst sinner. No, it's by saying we're all sinners. Uh, you know, I was a sinner and and Billy Graham was a sinner and Gary Wilkerson was a sinner and God met us where we were and his blood is enough. And I think that's just my practical, just jump past all that. The atonement is the most necessary part of the gospel because without the blood of Jesus, um, we were hopeless. And so we we have to get back into the Old Testament, explain the high priest. He couldn't go into the Holy Holies, but one time a year, and if his heart wasn't right, he would drop dead. And we have to explain the holiness of God. We have to explore the grievousness of, of sin, not in some ethereal place, but sin in our lives, sin in our hearts. But we do this be, so we can magnify the intense grace and love of God. And, and and the love of God only seems meaningful when we see how great the need is. And that's what the atonement really does, is it helps us. When you think about the blood of the animal sacrifice in the temple, you realize this is what sin costs. Yeah. And, and, you, and you can look it out at our world today, and we can see chaos in the streets and violence and murder and addiction. And this is what sin costs. And, and, and that's, that's what the blood of Jesus is for, is for all of that, to reconcile undeserving people, to not only be pardoned from their sins, but to be sons and daughters yeah, of the King. That's so good. So true. And it's, and it, as bloody as it is, you know, I read something one time that, you know, during, during that time where they, where they all came to Jerusalem to bring their sacrifices and the, the priest would be on the altar, just like cutting a lamb, cutting a, a goat, cutting a ram, cutting a turtle dove. That they actually had a like a, a, a funnel that came out from the place where he's and, and it just like poured like a river, and you know and if, if you talk about when 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 they came for that fe- festival, when they came for the feast, uh, where, where they were doing the sacrifices, it, it, you know if there were let's just say there were five hundred thousand Jews that came to Jerusalem for that for that time, and the priests are cutting that many, you just the, the river of blood would flow through the and it sounds kind of gory, but it's. But when you look at that's why it's it sounds gory, but it's really sweet in the sense of, you know, we were sinners, and the, this is what we talked about today. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says that life is in the blood. So, so the 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 death that you're going to be is your life is in the blood. The blood's going to be poured out. The sweetness of it is that you, that God said even in the Old Testament, instead of your blood being poured out, 
let's take a little sacrifice here. It's temporary. It'll get you by. But then in the New Testament, the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says there's no remission of sin without without blood. And so, you know, and, and people say, well, why blood? It seems, well, because that's the way God designed it to be. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in the mission of World Challenge. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Visit us online at worldchallenge.org.